So I want to start the program by saying I apologize if I sound like I'm rambling off the top here. I'm going to try to find a point at the end of all of it, but I'm not guaranteeing that I'm going to get there. I want to start the, uh, the show today by talking about Tim McAuliffe. And if you missed the news yesterday, Tim and Friends goes off the air on April the 11th, and Tim begins a new part of his career. And when I say Tim as well, I want to throw in Jesse Rubinoff as well, because what they created over the past couple of seasons, the past couple of years rather, has been something really special. Um, want to wish Tim uh, all the best in the next phase of his career uh, and would encourage him, even though he's not that kind of guy, uh, to take a bow for both Tim and Friends and the show's predecessor, Tim and Sid. Here's one of the questions I want you to think about uh, when we think about uh, the Tim and Friends show and we think about Tim McAuliffe's career. What is more important to you, the event or the conversation around the event? Now, the event is still more important, obviously. But I think conversation is a really close second. And one of the great things about what Tim McAuliffe has always done, whether it's been on television, whether it's been on radio, whether it's been on podcasts, is he's been able to lead a conversation and um, not, not just lead a conversation, but take a conversation deeper and, and allow a sports fan to fall in love with his or her sport um, in a way that they maybe thought wasn't even possible um you know the uh the old saying uh, you know uh, uh, a brilliant mind hits a target that no one else can hit but a genius hits a target that no one else can see um and at times tim really gave us cause for pause and gave us uh reasons to reflect on whether it's baseball whether it's football basketball hockey mma whatever he was talking about and helped us appreciate the sport or sports that we love in a way that maybe we didn't understand before. Um, Tim excels at editorial. And when I look at the sports industry specifically, there are three main pillars as it appears to me. Maybe there's more, share them if you can find more. So there's the event, which is the sport, there is the game. So there is the event that happens. And then secondly, there is the editorial or the conversation around it. There's a third pillar now, and that's interactive. And I know that's not for everybody in there. I'm talking about wagering, um, but it is very much a pillar in sports. And even if you don't like it, I hate to break the news to you. It ain't going away anytime soon. But the two majors that I want to talk about here are the event and the editorial around it. And what Tim was able to do um, is something that I've always referred to as making frames. And I think that one of the hardest jobs you can do, I try to do it daily here on this program and on the podcast with Elliot, is make frames. Frames are really important. Now, the event itself is the art. There's no disputing that. That's what gathers a crowd. That's what everybody is interested in. But the frames are really important part of a painting because the frames tell you where art stops and life begins. And that's a really important distinction. The event stops and then life begins. The sport itself is a suspension of a lot of different things. And you can say it's fantasy land, not unlike art, which really at its root really just tries to describe what's there. And the editorial around that art, or in this case, the editorial around the sport is where Tim McAuliffe has always shone. This has always been a bright spot for Tim McAuliffe. And the reason I I think a lot of us um, you know, found yesterday's news unfortunate about Tim and Friends going off the air. And again, we wish Tim all the success uh, in the next chapter of his career. 
is that, you know, Tim was able to demonstrate one basic profound truth that I believe about conversation about anything, whether it's a conversation about entertainment, whether it's a conversation about food, whether it's a conversation about politics, but in this case, it's sports. When you're having a conversation about something, two things are really important, context and subtext. And the context is sort of everything around that event and that what frames that conversation. But subtext is even more intriguing because what Tim has done for a number of years is laid himself open. And that's what everybody who you know is a, a public speaker or a public broadcaster does because what sports talk is and this station that you're listening to right now or watching on are full of people that are really that are really telling you about themselves sure they're talking to you about their sports they're talking to you about a hockey game or a baseball game or a, um, a wrestling match or a boxing match or, or whatever but really what they're doing is telling you about themselves by what they choose to talk about, by how they choose to talk about it. Um, they're talking to you about what they enjoy, what their ethics are, how they believe things should be and how they believe things shouldn't be. You can learn a lot if you follow a show for a number of years and it can be really challenging and sometimes dangerous for a lot of people uh, to lay themselves bare as long as, as Tim has on the air with all of his opinions. Um, the social media world uh, can sometimes be a real, you know, echo chamber for, for dagger throwers, and we all get it, and that's fine. We all sign up for it. There's no complaining. There's no whining about it. We all get it. Um, when you stick your head up above a crowd, you have to expect that someone's going to throw a rock, and when you traffic in opinion and when you traffic in conversation, the likes of which Tim has done for a number of years in his career, there's going to be some scars. And he's been able to withstand all of them and still continue to deliver excellence. And I think for that, uh, I know I'm grateful. I think anyone who ever watched or listened uh, to Tim and Friends or the predecessor, Tim and Sid, feels the same way uh, that Tim should be taking a bow right now, should be doing a victory lap. Um, it was a great editorial program, a great program that taught us a lot about the sports that we love. Uh, conversations were formed, opinions were formed, um, and really at the heart of it, Tim told us about himself. And I think that's one of the great gifts any broadcaster or any public person can give. McAuliffe, you're the goods man. Thanks for a long run. Best of luck in the next phase of your career. Let's start the show. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It's a Tim and Friends fan show is what it is. Uh, welcome to the program. Uh, Elliot Friedman stops by here in a couple of moments. Eric Engels, bottom of the hour. We thought the uh, Habs would beat their season's demise yesterday. Not so fast, says Michael Pozzetta, as he channels his inner Tiger Williams. More on that coming up at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, Elliot's here from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Elliot, how are you today? Yeah, that's funny, Jeff. You didn't say all those nice things about Tim uh, off the air. <laughs> or Sid, for that matter. Or anybody that's else. True. I don't even say those that's nice true. things about you off the air. So No, that, so that is you, definitely Freeman. true. That is definitely true. <laughs> Do you have a... Uh, no, I was just very you know, well talking said. About, very I mean, well I, said. I, I, listen, 
I love, you, you know me, I mean, I love editorial-based uh, editorial programs, um, programs where, you know, people lay their opinions out there for better or for worse. And I always, you know, go back and forth, and I always think about things, and I think about this with movies a lot, and I, I just pulled a book off my shelf. I'm a big fan of the movie Network. Um, Patty Chayefsky, one of the greatest scripts ever written. Um, it, to me, this is one of the, the best movies, and I always recommend it, specifically for people that, list, that, that work in our industry. Um, but as much as I've watched the movie Network, I've, always, uh, I've, I've also read a book uh, by Dave Itzkoff called Mad as Hell, The Making of Network and the Fateful mm. Vision of the Angriest Man in Movies. I think I've, re- like I've seen Network probably a dozen times, maybe even 20 times, but I think I've read this yeah, book like 10 movie. times. So I always talk back and forth on like, there's the event, but the event needs editorial around it. And I always thought that that's where, you know, Elliot, Tim McAuliffe really excelled. Yeah, I, I have to say that uh, I, I do agree with you about, uh, I've never read that Making of Network. I should, uh, I should oh, read it. Oh, so good. Um, you know, Jeff, we, we work in a volatile business. Uh, like, uh, look, like I, I'm under no illusions about my career. Like, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning just because of age. I'm 52 now, so it's only, a, it's like, like I said, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning. I meet a lot of young people who are getting into the business uh, now, and I tell them all the same thing. I'd rather have your future than my past because their future is going to be a lot longer than mine is. And we don't, and in our mm-hmm. business too, like how many of us, Jeff, get to call our shots? Not many of us. Nope. So you have to enjoy it as long as you can because we don't often, we're, we're like a lot of the athletes we cover. We don't get to call our own shot at the end of it. Yeah, uh, 100%. Um, all right. Uh, that program wraps up, by the way, on the 11th of April. And then uh, Tim moves on to the, the next phase of his career. Meanwhile. And by um, the way, Jeff, by the way, the only thing I don't like about Tim's new show is that I know the calls but, will be uh, Elliot. Instead of joining us at 6.05, how do you feel like joining us at 12.30 <laughs> in the morning? After a couple of old fashions, uh, watching the late yeah. game. Oh, it's the Kings and Ducks. Let's just throw an ice cube into this cup. <laughs> My hits could be more entertaining. I, I will say that, yes. Elliot, with with uh, with the new time change for uh, for Tim McAuliffe, uh, Elliot's hits just got that much more interesting and potentially um, uh, potentially viral. Um, what did you? Uh, what do you make of the Florida Panthers? I mean, last night we sort of framed this as the Florida Panthers. This was a, a must-win game. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins will play Detroit so they could expand the lead on, on, the, uh, on the Panthers right now. Uh, they face off against an Ottawa Senators team who you know just delights in playing spoiler, in playing home wrecker, and they did that last night against the, against the Florida Panthers. Um, do we say that if the Florida Panthers ultimately miss the playoffs, they'll look at the Ottawa game as the moment it all fell apart? You know, I, I think it's, I would say it's before that. I, I think it's this whole weekend. Um, like this to me is the example of why you can't fall behind early in the season. Because you expend so much energy catching up. And then it's hard to maintain yeah. the yeah. level. Like, like think of what happens in this league. You fall behind with the loser point. It's that much harder to make it. And you, like, like look at everything that's going on in the West. You know, Winnipeg got that lead. They've been leaking oil. But look how hard it is for Nashville and Calgary to catch them. 
You know, like Nashville had some games in hand and, you know, reality set in. Calgary, now Winnipeg and the Flames have both played the same number of games and the Flames are four points back. But look how hard it's been for Calgary to catch them. And the Jets have to have this one tonight. Like San Jose is like, it's like, uh, it's like Brad Pitt and Fury. They are tank commanders right now. And if you're the Jets, you have to... You have to get, yeah. you have to win this game tonight. And I look at the same thing, Jeff, in the East. Like the Islanders had a really rough weekend. They got only one point in two games against Columbus and Buffalo, but they get yeah. that big win last night, and now they've got a cushion. And and Florida actually caught Pittsburgh, and because they have the tiebreaker, they looked like they're in really good shape. But you have what three bad games, and you're out. And you know, that's the thing. Like, that's the thing in this league. If you don't get off to a good start, you are doomed. And uh, Florida, they're not finished yet, but the math is not their friend. And the draft will not be their friend. Uh, it will be Montreal's friend. Um, I want uh, to... And, and, and I got to tell you something. If you're Florida, year. you're trying to stay out of that lottery. You, that, that, you're right about that. Like, uh, that, you don't need to sweat that uh, one out. I remember the Flames sweating yeah. it out when they traded the first rounder for Travis Hamannick and it ended up in the lottery, and it didn't hurt them yeah. to that level. But I remember how much they sweated out that one. Yeah, that, you don't need that. Uh, Elliot, can you imagine? Can you imagine the land of chaos that exists if they get into a lottery spot? Can I you know. imagine? Uh, I know. For a moment. Uh, okay, speaking of the Montreal Canadiens, so... Uh, reports of their demise, reports of their demise. You know, if they lost to the Buffalo Sabres last night in any fashion, they would have been eliminated. Uh, their tragic number is one. This is all going to come crashing down sooner or later officially. Uh, but 4-3 in the shootout, and you and I are the same vintage. So when we saw Michael Pozzetta with uh, the goal and the Tiger Williams routine, now we've seen that before from some players. Uh, Ty Domi famously did it. Uh, scoring against Clint Malarchuk of the Buffalo Sabres when he played for the New York Rangers, Domi did. Um, but it always sort of warms my heart when people remember that great Tiger Williams celebration from 1980 after the uh, the Leafs-Vancouver trade, his first game back at Maple Leaf Gardens. He scores and he rides his stick down, yep. you know, essentially down Main Street at Maple Leaf Gardens, pointing at the bench and pointing at Harold Ballard and pointing and waving at fans. Uh, your thoughts on the uh, the Michael Pazetta Tiger Williams tribute last night? Well, I, I think two things can be really, really true. And number one is I thought it was hilarious because I grew up loving Tiger Williams. And number two, <laughs> if I was a Buffalo Sabre, I'd want to kill him. Like, I, I think, I think yeah. both things can be true. You can love it as a fan and you can hate it as a Sabre. I, I don't have any problem with, with any of those sides. That's what, that's what sports supposed to be about. And, you know, the thing about Pizzetta is, you know, here's a guy like, like that, <laughs> that play to him is gravy. You know, at the beginning of the year, you don't yeah. know if you're getting any chance to, to be in a shootout and have that kind of opportunity. I think when you're a guy who's, who's earned his way to the NHL the way that Pizzetta has, I think in a moment like that, I, I would be surprised if he didn't pull off some sort of crazy personal celebration. <laughs> Yeah, the thing about Pozzetta, too, is, and much like Tiger Williams and, for that matter, Ty Domi, who did it uh, as a Ranger, um, Pozzetta can handle himself just fine, thank you very much. 
Like, I don't yeah. think there's any, you know, you're not going to intimidate Michael Pizzetta. Like, oh, we're going to get you for doing the Tiger Williams thick celebrations. Like, if you're Pizzetta, like, okay, that's fine. I'm right here. Yeah, I uh, exactly. I mean, it's not like he's not going to stand up for himself if anything comes out of it. But, <laughs> you know, what? like, that's, that's a pure, <laughs> it's a pure moment. I mean, how can you not like it? Even if yeah. the Sabres hate it. I understand that, but the vast oh, majority of people are going to love it. <laughs> uh, speaking of loving it, um, one of the great moments, I, I love talking about spontaneous fan chants. I think we all do. You know, Winnipeg are some of the most creative fans in the entire NHL, but um, I really got to hand it to the Ottawa fans yesterday with the Brady's Better chant at the, uh, yeah. at the Florida Panthers yesterday. That was, a, that was a really nice touch. And we saw the commissioner talk about the Ottawa Senators and their sale uh, before the game yesterday. Uh, looking for a completion sometime in June. Uh, I know this is an ongoing story and things can change day in and day out, but as best you can glean, give us a snapshot of where this is at. We're talking at 217 Eastern, Tuesday, March 28th. Where's the sale at? I think it's 1217 Eastern, Jeff, but suddenly a lot of things about you make more sense. Um, what did I say? You know, uh, 217. There's a two in it. Close enough. It's been a long time. <laughs> I mean, uh, now I, yeah, you are. See, now you are living two hours into the future. Now I get why you think the way you do. <laughs> I, I really understand. Yeah, it. I took, uh, took an edible before the show. I guess <laughs> you said it, not me. Anyway, um, <laughs> that is probably the truest statement you'll ever air. Now, the the other thing I would say is. About Ottawa, like Kyle Bacoskis did a really good interview with Bettman uh, during the game last night. Yeah. Like, look, I, I think we're in a phase where they keep saying approximately six, and so we'll, we'll go with six. Um, all these groups are coming in now. They're going to see the Senators play at home. You know, there's a big one with the Leafs on Saturday night. Um, you know, they can, they can watch the game with all the Leafs fans in it. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time for that team. I, I think it really is. And again, like the Panthers, the math isn't, isn't great for them, but I, I like the fight they're showing. I, I really do. Um, I, I think, look, I, I think that we're, we're, we're at a point now where I think everybody knows that no matter what number you came in with, and some came in high, some came in low, you're in the 900-ish range, probably a little bit higher. I think the most interesting thing that's out of this, coming out of this, is suddenly this talk that LeBreton Flats might not be the area. Like, if you listen to what Batman said to Kyle last night, yep. um, he said, look, yep. this team's going to be in Ottawa. And Batman has always been consistent about that. Like, I remember years ago, like Eugene Melnick was making some noise. Like if I don't get the deal I want, maybe we move the team. Yeah. Batman like very quietly was like, that's not happening. Like you're not leaving, you're not leaving the Canadian capital. And he reiterated that last night just to make sure anyone wasn't certain about that. But what it says to me is that it's, it's a bit of poker. It's, it's like bidding on a house, right, Jeff? Um, you've got, yeah. You know, what this says to me is they're not 100% sure about the LeBreton Flats deal, either the size of the footprint or something else there. And 
or they or people want something and and they're starting to throw other possibilities around like staying in Canada or another location downtown that says to me that either the league or LeBreton Flats or one of the potential buyers or more of them aren't 100% convinced about what's available to them and to me this is all saber rattling in negotiations i just like the idea of the senator staying in Canada the whole thing we've been hearing for years is the senators have to yeah. go downtown. Like, are, are you going to tell me that someone's going to come in now and say, oh, no, we think it's best here all the time? The only other time I can remember that happening was when what's now Scotiabank Arena, uh, the, the Raptors initially built it before them and the Leafs were under the same umbrella, and the Leafs used to rip it. They used to say it's terrible, it's stupid, it's a bad location. And then the day the Raptors and the Leafs merged, the Leafs basically said, oh, we were lying. It's a beautiful arena. We're going to be happy to be there. And so, but I don't see that being the same kind of situation here. So, like, to me, the big thing is now is what's this negotiation going on with downtown Ottawa and LeBreton Flats and what does everybody want here to make this all work out? How much of that, by the way, just just as an aside, I mean, you're closer to this world than I am. And, you know, you mentioned saber, right? Saber rattling. How much of that, you know, putting out the idea that there are some groups that, you know, may not want, you know, this arena right downtown warming Mm -hmm. to areas outside and in and around Ottawa. I mean, how much of that do you just think is a deke? How much do you think is just a head fake? Like, yeah, I really be want this downtown, but we'll probably get a better deal if everyone thinks that we want it somewhere else. Well, I think that's what it says to me. And, you know, people are being really careful because you don't want to run afoul of anybody by leaking. But it just says to me that there's something like a lot of the reports in Ottawa. And if you watch them today, it's that, you know, they're talking about the footprint for the arena in LeBreton Flats is too small. So what that says to me is that now I think there are other options there. Um, I'm trying to figure out what those are. I think there are other options there. But um, I think that uh, what this, it, it just says to me, it's like negotiation, Jeff. It's like some, you, you always want something, right? You're, you're, you're paying for the team. You're paying for the arena. You want to get the best deal you can. And all of a sudden, after years of hearing this was the solution, we're hearing it may not be the solution, I've been around enough of these to know that that means that someone's not fully happy with the deal, and now we're in the negotiation phase. This is the public saber-rattling to see what the solutions are. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let me ask you about the Islanders. You mentioned them a couple of seconds ago. Big win against the Devils yesterday, Elias Sorokin with the 30 saves and that uh, Paul Mary line um, with uh, with Brock Nelson and with Pierre Engvall looks real good and Paul Mary with yeah. a pair yesterday. By the way, and I know it's a pair of empty net goals, you know, Parisi and Horvat. Horvat was 37th, hasn't scored in 12 games. Uh, he finds uh, the back of an albeit empty net. But um, Zach Parisi scored again yesterday. It's an empty net goal. He's on yeah. a league minimum deal. He's a veteran. He's from that legendary 2003 draft class. Yeah, um, 20 years. <laughs> Zach Parisi has 21 goals. I know. Hands up, who saw that one coming, Elliot? I thought he was well, supposed to I'm be ra- washed. I thought he was supposed to be done. I'm, ra- I'm raising my hand on the phone, but I want you to know I'm admitting I'm lying. 
Like just so that you you know that <laughs> I yeah I, I don't know that anybody saw that coming. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I agree with you. We all thought he was he was pretty much done. And twenty goal season on a team that has struggled to score goals this year. I mean that's that's pretty yeah. amazing. Yeah, we don't have like a comeback player. I I'd love to have a comeback player of the year in the NHL, but we don't have that. With you, with you. We, I think we talked about this a couple of months ago. Like the candidates, yeah. I mean, Eric Carlson would be up there. I think Zach Parisi uh, would be up there. Jake DeBrusque, I think you could throw into that. Um, well, I have to say well. this. I, I think I, this I, year, I by it. a mile, it would be Clayton Keller. By a mile. And, uh, you know, Clayton Keller, like nobody's really looking at this, but he is he could become the highest scoring single season Arizona slash Phoenix Coyote player in history. Like he's within striking yep. distance, and um, you know, I, Bill Armstrong was saying at the GM meeting. I think I mentioned this to you this week that uh, when Keller was at uh, was skating in the summer, coming back from his injury, he could skate properly before he could walk properly because the motion was easier on his legs. Yeah. And uh, like Keller this year, to me, yeah, you know, like the, like the Masterton one. Um, is is like that's the kind of profile that wins the Masterton, the San Jose defenseman, yep. the guy whose name I always get wrong. He's another guy who I think uh, perseverance and dedication really matters, really fits. But like to me, Keller this year, he'd be the comeback player of the year by a mile. But like all those names you mentioned, I think they absolutely deserve would deserve consideration. Um, real, real quick, we got a couple of minutes left here. Um, wanted to get your thoughts. I mean, tonight's going to be a huge. Tonight's another huge night. There's ten games on the board around the NHL, and uh, we saw Boston and Tampa on Saturday. We saw yep. Boston, Carolina on Sunday, and tonight we get Carolina and Tampa. I mean, this really has been a schedule maker's gift uh, to yes. hardcore hockey fans. We'll watch this one tonight. There's a few marquee games, but. We've seen Tampa and uh, Boston measure up. We've seen Boston and Carolina measure up. I think both games kind of had a playoff mystique and atmosphere about it. Uh, you saw a very wound up Rod Brindamore on Sunday. Um, and yes, I got a few text messages and... about our podcast yesterday. <laughs> yes, as I understand, that was quite interesting to some people around <laughs> the uh, around the uh, the NHL. Um, Tampa and Carolina tonight should be a doozy. Essentially is what I'm getting yeah. at here. If we look at this troika of elite teams, here we go again. And this one should, Elliot, again, have a, a playoff-type feel to it as teams get all wound up three weeks away. Your thoughts on this matchup tonight, Tampa and Carolina? Well, I've been pretty impressed with the Hurricanes. I think a lot of people kind of thought the Devils might pass them for first place in the Metro with all the injuries they suffered. But here they are. They're still three points up for first with two games in hand. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, like Tampa, Tampa to me is going to be one of the most fascinating teams to watch between now and the end of the regular season. We got, you know, basically we've got uh, three weeks left. um, And, you know, we all know who they're going to play. We all know what's at stake in that series and Tampa's kind of lurching towards the end here. They've had some real struggles. Then they showed New Jersey who was boss a couple of times, and then they started struggling again. we all saw how Cooper uh, started that game in Boston the other day 
which was to send a message to his own team as much as the Bruins. Um, I think Tampa's going to be fascinating to watch the way they go into the playoffs. Like, um, I, I just think that, like, you look at, you look at a lot of these teams out here, they're starting to ramp it up and say, okay, you, like McDavid said, you can't turn the switch on right away, so you better make sure you're going into the playoffs okay. You can see Cooper's grinding the lightning to get them there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned um, the Edmonton Oilers there, and that was a tough one. Um, by the way, the Edmonton hangs on to win that one last night against Arizona. Matias Michelli uh, with another pair of goals. Uh, going back the last few months, whether it's Beneers, um, whether it's Wyatt Johnson, um, whether it's Mason McTavish, there has been no hotter rookie the last few months than Michelli in Arizona. Like he's not mm-hmm. going to win the Calder. We know that it's going to be you know a Beneers show, and the Wyatt Johnson will get some some love as well. Um, but they've really found one here, haven't they? Like we always look for you know teams like the Arizona Coyotes, you know redeveloping team here, rebuilding squad. Who's going to emerge? You know, uh, come out of the dirt here and bloom. Michelli looks like a real good one for the Coyotes here long term. Well, first of all, I just uh, I, I wanted to say that I don't know if I would agree and it's going to be Beneers or your your man crush, Wyatt Johnson. I, I, I got to tell you, <laughs> like, I, I'm going to look really hard at two defensemen uh, in addition to those players, Jake Sanderson yep. and Owen Power. Like, you know, like I, like I remember the year, and this was before I was in the business, the year that Burry and Lindros were rookies and you know the argument was who's the best rookie or who which rookie is the best player and I remember there was a big fight that year about those guys and I I think ultimately you have to vote for who had the best rookie season but you know Mm -hmm. I I can't help but look at guys like Sanderson like no offense to Beneers and Johnson but I wouldn't be surprised if down the road from this class the two players who are seen as the best are Power and Sanderson. So I always think about that, right? So, and and you're, I, you're I don't look, think you're looking at it like a you're looking at it like a scout freeze. You're like, okay, this is this kid at this age, but what's he going to be like at 25? Yeah, that does happen, but I don't vote like that. I think like that, but I really try not to vote like that. I'm like you. I'm living two hours into the future. It's it's two thirty <laughs> Eastern right now. Oh, nice. What flavor is yours? Peach? Lemon? What was yours? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I got to tell uh, you, though, I, I don't think Sanderson and Power are getting enough credit for the seasons they're having. I, I really don't. I, I I agree. And there was a time there where you can make a strong case, I think, for uh, for Lucan and in Buffalo. I think we wondered yes. about, you know, Logan Thompson with uh, with Vegas as well. So I I, I know that they, the, the headlines are going to be Beneers and, and Wyatt Johnson and Mason McTavish. But you're right. There are other ones uh, to consider here. Real quick, wrap up on this one. Oilers and Golden Knights. We talked about Tampa and Carolina. Yeah. That's a doozy. Tonight, uh, Edmonton Oilers, Vegas Golden Knights, 10 o'clock Eastern. Watch this one on Sportsnet 1. Uh, Oilers coming off, again, oh, a real tough one against the Arizona Coyotes last night. Well, the mullet's a tough place to play. Like One of, my, one of the guys I like chatting with, a Big Islander fan, Michael Leboff, he calls it the ASU flu, right? Um, because it's yeah, it's know, a really it's a tough it, it's a tough place to play like a, like it's like the first year of the Raptors the, the the opponents used to call it Cape Fear 
because, you know, they, yeah. the player, NBA players discovered Toronto, what a great nightlife it had. And especially if you had afternoon games, like a Sunday afternoon game, you were in trouble here. So, um, like, I just think that where that's, where that, where they play, the uniqueness of the arena, the proximity to ASU, uh, sources have told me it's a very attractive campus. I don't think it's the easiest place mm-hmm. to play on the road. Speaking of Leboff, by the way, uh, we've heard of scheduled tweets before. Do you have scheduled texts from Leboff? Oh, because yeah. I always know exactly when the Islanders are playing and how they're doing when uh, uh, when I get a text from Leboff. It's like, oh, Leboff just texted me. The Islanders must be doing something. Last night he texted me after that game. I can't believe this team is on the brink of doing this third conference final in four years. Like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. Pump the brakes. The world's biggest Islanders fan, Michael Leboff. I, I got the Pierre Engvall's God tweets last night. Like, that's what I was getting. Text last night. <laughs> Not Paul Mary with the pair? Come on, man. No, Engvall. No, Engvall. Yeah. All right. The gift, the gift, Pierre Engvall. Uh, On that, we'll wrap. Have a good rest of your afternoon, and we will chat tomorrow. All right, Merrick. Enjoy uh, life two hours into the future. Speak to you later. I've seen the future, Elliot. I've seen the future. And it is Eric Engels who joins me in moments from Sportsnet. We'll get on the Montreal Canadiens page as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network simulcast on Sportsnet 360. Keep it here.